Our scripture reading for this day, our gospel lesson, comes from Mark's gospel chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been confused? (laughs) I've known folks, it might be better, more accurate to ask, can you ever remember a time when you were not confused? But being confused is not a sin. Most of the time, it's not even a shame. In case you haven't noticed in the past few seconds or minutes or hours or days or weeks or months or years, the world in which we live has become for many a very confusing place. Everywhere we turn, there's a piece of the puzzle that just doesn't seem to fit anymore. What is it about life in 2021 that confuses you the most? Webster attempts to define confusion by talking about these words, by using these phrases, disorder, bewilderment, embarrassment, chaos, jumble, muddle, failure to distinguish between things. What is number one on your hit parade of things or people that confound and confuse you? Sometimes confusion can be controlled or at least confined. Examples of confined confusion might include political conventions or three-ring circuses or church committee meetings or classrooms. Confined confusion limits boundaries around it. Confusion is often caused by misunderstanding, sometimes caused by a lack of communication or a miscommunication. I remember something that happened in Wilkes County, Washington, Georgia, when I was serving four little country churches there several years ago. It was revival time in one of the churches, and every night during the revival, the visiting preacher and me and my family were supposed to show up at somebody's house, and they would have dinner for us, and then we would get to the church building on time. Well, on this particular evening, we showed up at the front door of one of the dear saints in the church and she came to the door and said it is so good to see all of you why are you here (laughs) Uh, this is not my night is it and it was but to her credit she invited us in 
And in a few short minutes, she prepared one of those wonderful country meals. I think she cooked everything she had in the refrigerator and the freezer and the pantry and had it all out before us. And we were able to eat and get to the church house by 7.30. She was confused. There had been a miscommunication. And then sometimes confusion gets into the church building itself. I know you'll find that hard to believe. But I was preaching one Sunday morning in a previous appointment when folks commenced to doing an unusual amount of shuffling around. And first thing I knew, some of the folks were standing up in the pews and they were shrieking. And then in a moment or two, someone threw a hymnal about halfway across the sanctuary. A less humble preacher might have mistaken all of that for a movement of the Holy Spirit in response to the eloquence of his or her words. But then I looked around closely, and it was then that I first noticed the lizard. At least it wasn't a snake, but there was much confusion in the church building that morning. It's it's a picture, an image I'll never forget. That kind of confusion is something we can sit around the fireplace and chuckle about for years, for, for decades to come. But there is confusion of belief sometimes that creeps into the church, and it's not quite as funny as that. Confused beliefs can lead to confused and hurtful actions. Divided fellowships are often the result of confused and conflicting beliefs. In the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, there's a story of confusion, and I would encourage you to go and read Acts 18 and 19 when you get a little time, maybe not right now. But there's a confusion there in Acts 19 over the sacrament of baptism. But since there is no confusion or has been no confusion in any church anywhere since that time about baptism, then, then why are we going to bother about this story? But there has been, hasn't there? Maybe we ought to look at Acts 19 a little more closely. It begins by telling us that Paul had come to Ephesus and there he found, quote, some disciples. Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they said, no, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul asked, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul explained to them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in Jesus, the one who was to come. Then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came to them. And one definition of confusion that was mentioned earlier is the failure to distinguish between two or more things. These disciples could not understand, could not distinguish between the two baptisms, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus that involved the Holy Spirit. Baptismal confusion still exists in the church today, of course. And we'll take a moment or two to examine some of the sources of that confusion and and what that means, what those implications are for us. And it's an appropriate time to do this because on the church liturgical calendar, this is the baptism of the Lord Sunday, the second Sunday of the Epiphany season. In our gospel lesson for today, describe that baptism. One area of confusion has to do with some, what some folks have been calling for a long time now and still do, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a second baptism. Let me 
describe a little bit to you about this from a conversation that Will Willimon had with a neighbor of his years ago. Willimon was a pastor and he was a professor at Duke University and he later became a United Methodist Bishop, but he talked about it in his book, Remember Who You Are. It's a great book, still a great book, even after all these years about baptism. I'll commend it to you. But anyway, this is part of the conversation. I want us to overhear it for just a moment. He said, when I first moved into this neighborhood, my next door neighbor, upon learning that I was a preacher, promptly, intro- promptly introduced herself as being charismatic. She said that she had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I responded by saying that makes two of us. I could tell from her expression that she was skeptical of my claim. A few conversations later, she became downright incredulous of my assertion that I too was charismatic. I'm praying for you, she said one day, leaning over the hedge, pointing her hedge clippers at me in a menacing kind of way. I thanked her and asked her if she were praying for anything specific for me. She said she was. She was praying that I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thanked her again and told her she need not bother God with that request since the Lord had quite graciously given me that gift already. And I could tell that she doubted. Really, she asked? I'd be interested in knowing where and how and and when you receive the Holy Spirit. And she answered and she said, I just don't believe you. And he said, well, let me tell you. I was a few months old at the time. A preacher named Forrester took me in his arms, poured water over my head, and said that I had the Holy Spirit. That isn't baptism of the Holy Spirit, she retorted. Well, the preacher said I got it, and everybody else said I got it. And if that didn't take, when I was about 10 years old, a preacher named Herbert stood me up in front of the congregation, put his hands on my head, and said, in effect, you've got the Spirit, now use it. And as if that were not enough, a bishop put his hands on my head, a bishop named Tullus, one night when I was in my mid-twenties. And he said, you've got the Holy Spirit. Go out there and preach the gospel. About the worst you could say for me is that I don't use the Spirit's gifts or I don't always live by the Spirit, but you sure can't deny that I've got it. I love that conversation. And he goes on to say that the New Testament does speak of two baptisms. One, the baptism of John the Baptist, a pre-Christian kind of baptism, baptism of repentance, a baptism of, of cleansing. And these folks here knew only the baptism of John. The other, the baptism of Jesus, is with water and the Spirit. It's a sign of God's activity, and it's a sign of God's presence in our hearts and in the world. In that strange story of Apollos in Acts 18 and 19, we are told that Apollos had only received the baptism of John. And the people at Ephesus were baptized by Apollos, and therefore they had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. In the only instance of rebaptism in the New Testament, Paul baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism is spirit baptism. There's only one Christian baptism in the New Testament, and it is baptism in the name of Jesus and receiving then 
the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that there are so much more that can be said about baptism, and we maybe can do that at another time. But there's some other areas of confusion regarding baptism that I want to mention briefly. And one of these areas of confusion has to do with modes or methods of baptism. Traditionally, there have been three ways in which baptism is administered. Sprinkling is a reminder that in Christ, God has fulfilled the promise of the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean, and a new heart I will give you. And then immersion is a symbol of burial and resurrection, a reminder that we have been buried with Christ in baptism in order that we might be raised to walk in newness of life. And then there is pouring, sometimes with a shell. The pouring of water upon those being baptized signifies the New Testament gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, recalling the words of the prophet Joel or Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We practice all three methods in the United Methodist Church, and I believe that all are valid. I was baptized by sprinkling when I was an infant, and I believe that I am just as baptized as anyone who has ever been baptized. Don't allow other Christians or other folks to make you feel inferior ever because the way you were baptized is different from the way they were baptized. We get too caught up with that. And then another area of confusion surrounding baptism has to do with infant baptism. And I believe that infant baptism is legitimate and is important. It's certainly a part of our tradition. And I do believe that if we have been baptized as infants, we do not need to be rebaptized when we become youth or young adults or older adults. There will come a time when we might need to renew those vows that were made at baptism. Baptismal renewal, we're going to participate in some of that in, in just a moment or two. And the first such renewal of baptism in our tradition we refer to as confirmation. But to rebaptize is to call into question the promises that God made to us when we were first baptized. And in baptism, God is the primary actor, and God always gets it right the first time. We don't have to redo something that God has done so well. When we come to God, we are all as helpless infants in our inability to save ourselves. And another area of confusion surrounding baptism has to do with results. Baptism is initiation into the church, the universal church, the worldwide church. And membership has its privileges, as the old credit card commercial used to say, but membership also has its responsibilities. Baptism is an ordination to ministry. It is the beginning of servanthood for all Christians, all followers of Jesus. Jesus' baptism was the beginning of his earthly ministry. Baptism is not just a ticket to glory, so to speak. It is a summons to lifelong service. Genesis chapter 1, we are told that the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And out of the chaos, out of the confusion, God created an orderly world. Spirit and water. It makes this passage from Genesis sound like a baptismal passage, doesn't it? Spirit and water. 
pray with me, that the Spirit of God will continue to move in the church, clearing up the confusion about baptism and so many other things that often divides us and bringing about an understanding that can unite us and make us strong. Now, originally before this past week, at this point in my sermon, I had a stop sign. And I think maybe that would have been a a pretty good place to start. Not to start, but to stop. But then there's been this past week. And I've been thinking about what our role, our responsibility is as baptized followers of Jesus, summoned to servanthood. And some things have, have come to mind, and I'll mention more of those in the baptismal renewal. But a couple of biblical images has really stuck with me as I've watched the television and the computer monitor and prayed and been confused in my own heart about so much that's going on. One of those things is I see great groups of people engaged in destructive behavior is an expression that Jesus used, like sheep without a shepherd. Remembering, trying to remember, trying to realize that there is only one true shepherd, and that is Jesus the Christ, and that other shepherds will sometimes lead us in the wrong direction. Sheep without a shepherd. And then there's a line that came to me out of the old rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar from 1969. That's not that old, but it's been a while. You remember when Simon the Zealot is talking to Jesus? Lord, you've got all these people, 50,000 shouting love and more for you. Every one of 50,000 will do whatever you ask them to do. And Jesus ends up responding to Simon. Neither you, Simon, nor the 50,000 nor the Romans, nor the Jews, nor anyone else understands what power is, understands what glory is, understands it all. And I've been thinking about in the halls of power in this nation, what do we understand about power? And what is real glory all about? A confusing week, a week to examine our hearts, to remember that we are baptized and that God calls us to a servant role in a world where that's not highly valued much anymore, or so it seems. We're going, I'm going to walk down now to the baptismal font down front here. And uh, I know most of you do not have a United Methodist hymnal. If you happen to have one, Page 50 is a service for baptismal renewal. We're going to do a modified version of that and think about these things together. If you'll give me just a moment. Sisters and brothers in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. 
Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared in our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. I'm going to ask you a series of questions now, just four or five questions. Think about these questions in light of all that's been happening in our nation this past week and maybe what's been going on in your own heart. Your response, if you choose to respond wherever you are to the questions, is I do. Or maybe you just want to ponder these and rethink them for a while. So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves? I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in this world? I will. And now the thanksgiving over the water. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection, and make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, gathered here and gathered in our homes and in other places, and by the gift of water, call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins, and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. Now all praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. And now I'm going to ask all of you, wherever you may be this morning, all of us, the few who are here and all of you gathered, to remember your baptism and to be thankful. And now the Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water in the Spirit, you may live as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ.